0: For today's episode, we're going to try something a little bit different. Allmusicbooks.com was the genesis of what we now do here, and I thought it might be fun to showcase some of the reviews I wrote for the site. And remember, anyone can contribute to the site. It is a free, community-based site for music book fans to search and buy books, read and review books, or simply read other like-minded reviews and rate reviewers. We hope you'll join in. So, looking for a unique present for that very special music fan in your life? Or maybe for you to put on your holiday list? Oh, you say you want a Bob Dylan book this Christmas. That's super popular right now, and in fact, it's in the news a lot. So you better be careful. Here are a couple of books on Dylan that I've read and written a review for on allmusicbooks.com and would heartily recommend. And no auto pen signatures to worry about. It's probably a pretty equal split between The Beatles and Bob Dylan in the number of books, bios, and criticism on these two pillars of rock and roll. There are loads of both good ones and bad takes, and some that aren't worth your time.
1: Well, actually, Stephen, there are over 2,000 books on The Beatles, compared to 142 books written about Bob Dylan so far. Dylan has written three books on his own. Tarantula, which is prose, Chronicles Volume 1, which is a memoir, And then his newest one from 2022, The
0: Philosophy of Modern Song. And I've heard bad takes on two of those three recently. Depending on what you're looking for, there's no shortage of books on Bob Dylan. There's the definitive No Direction Home, The Life and Music of Bob Dylan by Robert Shelton. And if that sounds familiar, it's probably because it's also the title of Martin Scorsese's Three and a Half Hour, 2005 documentary film that premiered on PBS. Shelton passed in 95, so I don't know if his book served as any sort of framework, but it is a great documentary with lots of video from the vaults. The book is likewise a straightforward and excellent read. Prior to that, Anthony Scaduto's 1973 book was the first quote-unquote full story of Bob Dylan. It came from many sources, from those who intimately knew him through all of his many changes. Joan Baez, Phil Oaks, Dave Van Ronk, and from Dylan himself. It's all here the good, the bad, the gritty, and the great. I'd have to reread it to see if it stands the test of time, but there you go. So here are a couple of offbeat things that you might want to check out. All oh, the ragmen draws circles up and down the black. I'd ask him what the middle was. I know that he don't
1: talk and the ladies treat me kindly and they finish me with tape. But deep inside my heart, I know I can't escape.
0: Oh The Rolling Thunder review was one of Dylan's most intriguing phases, in my opinion. I loved the tour album Hard Rain from the moment I heard it, although I definitely felt in the minority on that. It sounded nothing like Dylan, and I'm pretty sure that was the point, with the loose, sloppy rock and roll that was so at odds with the Dylan myth. On the road with Bob Dylan, Larry Ratso Sloman's legendary account of that tour, is one weird, wild ride. The book is always on the edge of spinning out of control, much like that tour. It's like a Fellini film, dotted with crazy-ass people in crazy-ass situations and surreal conversations with people like Joan Baez, Bobby Newworth, Sam Shepard, the beguiling, sad-eyed lady, Sarah Lowndes, and especially Allen Ginsberg, who comes across as pretty much the last guy you'd want sitting next to you at a concert. Well, here's a point of interest. Allen Ginsberg recorded 28
1: LPs of poetry reading. Sounds maybe painful. Very painful.
0: But what's interesting about this book is it's definitely more about Rolling Thunder than Dylan, though he's in the eye of the hurricane for sure. The author is invited by Dylan at the end of a drunken evening in New York City to go on the road and write a book about the tour. And what follows in the 450 plus pages is Dylan's people and the participants of the tour teasing, torturing and denying access to Sloman, while the author valiantly tries to penetrate the inner circle and get to Dylan himself. Interestingly, the author variously refers to himself in the first and third person throughout the book, as he acquires various nicknames during the tour. Occasionally, he's simply the author, but the shape-shifting is positively Dylan-esque. A couple of conversations in the book are standouts. One is with guitarist Michael Bloomfield, who dishes on playing and recording with Dylan, and his speed jive rap is fascinating and not altogether complimentary.
1: Did you know, or did you care, that Mike Bloomfield has had more recordings released posthumously than while living.
0: It was a pretty short run for that guy, while he was alive anyway. (laughs) Towards the end of the book, Robbie Robertson provides a wonderful narrative of the band's growth with Dylan on tour and in the studio. His recollections of those early tours, and especially recording the Basement Tapes and Planet Waves, which is one of my favorite Dylan albums, is mesmerizing. In between... Joni Mitchell rambles on in several self-absorbed, self-important, abstract tangents until the author finally stops her in her tracks, asking simply, what the fuck are you talking about? Right on, Ratso. I was wondering the same thing. But does our man finally gain access and get his man? Well, buy the book and don't miss the last 20 pages or so for the answer. It's a fun, entertaining read, more like a novel, and fans of Dylan, particularly during this underrated period, will enjoy it. It's a front row seat to the confusion and ecstasy and depression and joy and tumult and fury and love and rage and boredom and transcendence of six weeks on the road. Just don't get caught in that seat between Allen Ginsberg and Joni Mitchell.
1: Well, Joni actually recorded fewer albums than Ginsberg, 24 live in studio albums combined for 9.2 million record sales, probably more than Ginsberg.
0: Definitely more than Ginsberg. That'd be an interesting uh, argument to sit between, don't you think? Yeah, and
1: but Bob has fifty-four live and studio albums, and he sold one hundred and twenty-five million records all time, so he's the winner. He is the winner. Oh well, I love you, pretty baby. The only love I've ever known. Just as long as you stay with me, the whole world is my throne. Beyond here lies nothing, nothing we could all our own.
0: Well, my next two records are by fans and offer up much more personal insight. The first is by music journalist Chris Morris, a longtime music writer and author of Together Through Life, a personal journey with the music of Bob Dylan. Here's the bad news, Dylan fans. It's too late. Chris beat you to the book you always thought about writing. You know, the one where you trace your years through the Dylan catalog. Dylan's the perfect artist to do this with. There's been no one more mercurial, ahead of the curve, brilliant, lazy, and frustrating to tie yourself to. Morris first conceived this project as a way to clear a psychological block while working on his excellent Los Lobos bio, Dream in Blue, and was originally featured as a Dylan a Day on his Tumblr site. It gained a life of his own on the author's Facebook page, where friends would post their own comments and thoughts, and a friend convinced him it would make a great book, and although Dylan does have a sizable catalog, the book is a short read if you simply want to sit down and read it all the way through. Perhaps his once-a-day posts were a more ideal format— making the reader wait and tune in to each installment, some depressing, others hilarious. There is some dark personal shit here, breakups, divorce, breakups, as well as the pure joy inherent in finding great music. Ever the critic, I laughed out loud at several of Morris's album chapter opening lines, mostly in Dylan's later titles. On Shot of Love, Morris writes, quote, It was a mess, possibly as messy as the inside of Dylan's head when it was written and recorded. I, however, love this record, especially the cover art. And Morris continues, quote, Down in the groove has no real reason to exist. Again, I do love 90 miles an hour down a dead end street and Rank Strangers to me, but it's not a very good album. And things cannot bode well for Bob Dylan at Budokan when, quote, I bought this fucking thing as an import at Tower Records are the writer's first memories of the record. This thing does, however, suck hard, by the way. As much as I want to like it, I just can't. But then consider, quote, what an elegant and accomplished thing this record is when Morris describes time out of mind, or calling Oh Mercy, quote, one of the handful of albums I am truly grateful for. There's always a backstory. However, we're going to have to disagree that conceptually, Christmas in the heart will endure as one of the perfect works for the 21st century. But fans of Dylan will undoubtedly get a kick out of this book, and fans of Chris Morris doubly so.
1: Well, I'm glad to hear that O Mercy made it to his happy list. That's kind of like in my top three for sure. I know Blood on the Tracks is big. Slow Train Coming, I loved, but I'm kind of a Mark Knopfler nut. So, uh, how about yours? What are your Dylan records?
0: No doubt uh, Blood on the Tracks is not only my favorite Dylan record, but it's probably my favorite record of all time. It might, uh, other Dylan albums, you know. Um, I love Infidels uh if only for Joker Man but there's a lot of great stuff on there and of course Highway 61 and Blonde on Blonde you know there, there's a lot in that catalog to listen to yeah, and it's good stuff there, there's a lot of shite too but uh you know I can't
1: wait wait for you to change
0: Speaking of Dylan fans, next we have the very curious and equally fantastic book, The Dylanologists, Adventures in Bob Land by David Kinney. A quote from the inside flap perfectly encapsulates a book that explores the prickly, obsessive and sometimes toxic relationship between Dylan and a segment of his fan base. Here it is. Fan. You don't know who I am, but I know who you are. Bob's response. Let's keep it that way. Dylan, of course, is not alone with obsessive fans. All superstars have them to some degree. John Lennon and Jerry Garcia come to mind. But Dylan's are a different breed, anointing the man as a savior and the voice of a generation. Most songwriters and musicians expect and perhaps encourage their fans to fill in the blanks on some of their lyrics and the meanings of the songs. Few, however, could withstand the links to which Dylanologists take it. You know what was missing
1: was... That Bob's a little bit of a fanboy himself, and he he liked to talk in other interviews about his favorite versions of his songs covered by other people, and apparently his very favorite artist who covered positively Fourth Street was Johnny Rivers.
0: Huh, that's interesting. And I know his new book. I think he talks a lot about uh, cover versions, not necessarily his, but uh, always interesting to hear what he listens to.
1: Say you are my friend When I was down You just stood there grinning
0: Rock scribe Grill Marcus who called Dylan obsessives not just the worst, they're the stupidest. And then he succinctly concludes, I think it's something in Dylan's writing that leads people to believe that there's a secret behind every song. And if you unlock that secret, you'll discover the meaning of life. Well, Grill, that may be true, but wasn't that part of the joy of music pre-MTV? Author David Kinney introduces us to quite the cast of characters, which begins with A.J. Weberman, who famously searched through Dylan's garbage looking for clues, only to find dirty diapers and dog shit. Unbelievably, to me anyway, Dylan finally grants him an audience, only to find the conversations being taped by Weberman, and he angrily ends it. After spending years analyzing and, quote, decoding Dylan's lyrics and concluding the singer was a junkie, a conservative, a racist, a Holocaust denier, and had HIV, Weberman's long search predictably brings him to the final and obvious realization that, quote, I wasted my fucking life on this shit. I think he means his irrational obsession rather than Dylan's music. We also get an obsessive tape collector who hollers out his couch to store bootleg tapes until it collapses under the weight. We get various hypnotist collectors, and the man behind a fanzine who devotes two years creating a 23-part series ruminating on the classic song, Visions of Joanna. Of course, he later concludes that Time Out of Mind foretold Princess die's fatal car accident in Paris. Oops. Perhaps Dylanologist is simply a fancy word for crazy-ass fans. <laughs> And while a story populated only with crazy-ass fans might be a good read, Kinney provides much, much more. He works in some of the flashpoints of Dylan's career, including going electric at Newport, his infamous motorcycle accident and subsequent defection to Woodstock, his religious records, Slow Train Coming, one of Steve's favorites, and Saved, and of course his masterpiece, Blood on the Tracks, and its supposed muse, the dissolution of his marriage to the sad-eyed lady of the lowlands, Sarah Lowndes. At each of these flashpoints, Kenny introduces a new Dylanologist, and it is utterly fascinating. So, according to the internet, the saddest Dylan song is
1: not Sad-Eyed Lady. It's simple twist of fate. Well, how do you feel about that? Uh, I'll go with Sad-Eyed.
0: Ah, I'm going to go with uh, the internet. Anyway, throughout this book, Dylan's relationship with his fans, his fame, and his legacy are also in play. Dylan has always kept these at arm's length, and as an artist in a constant state of reinvention, it's fair to contemplate whether he encourages the introspection, even as he distances himself. Watch some of the press conferences on YouTube where interviewers try to pin him down on the meaning of his songs. And remember that Dylan's film career includes a character named Alias, a movie called Mast and Anonymous, and the pseudo-biopic I'm Not There. Though the man himself does not appear in that flick, he is played by no less than six different actors and actresses. Telling? Perhaps. In the end, however, Dylan the artist outlasts all of the Dylanologists. Most of them realize they've wasted their lives on... nothing. Some die, some become alcoholics, and A.J. Weberman eventually lands in jail. As Dylan says of the controversies, disappointments, and misinterpretations throughout his career, quote, oh, I let you down? Big deal. Find somebody else. The Dylanologist's Adventures in the Land of Bob is ultimately a tale of life on the fringes, and if you're a Dylan fan, this is a must-read. I highly, highly recommend it. This book feels like it it might do really well as a great
1: podcast in kind of the vein of true crime and strictly one man opinion type podcast trending
0: large there well that's a great idea whether we edit that or not afterwards we'll talk <laughs> <laughs>